We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Lord, in prayer this morning before we get started. Father God, you are an awesome and wonderful God, and your salvation is worth all else, above everything. above anything we could obtain here on earth, Father. Lord, today we ask that you reveal yourself to us and illuminate the truth of your word to each of us and convict our hearts, Lord, that we might be transformed not by the world around us, but by your holiness, Lord, your goodness, and your spirit. Lord, as we approach Easter Sunday, we pray for the people in this community. We pray for them to come to hear the the power of your word. And ask God that you prepare them to turn away from the world and look toward you alone. And Father, I pray that you take this short time today and, and bring your people to yourself. We ask God today that you reveal all that you have given us and all that we have to be thankful for. Lord, use me and empower me with the Holy Spirit to teach your word accurately and boldly for the cause of Christ. And ultimately, God, I pray that you be glorified for this. For this is why I preach, to bring you glory, Lord. So we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to work, witness together and worship together. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the first two verses of First Peter. And we're going to continue through that today. But last week we looked at three points. We saw a description of Peter. And though he failed a lot, and though God used him in magnificent ways... He failed many times, and the encouragement there was that even when we fail in our daily lives, God can still use us to do mighty things for His kingdom. Secondly, we saw the description of His readers. These people were aliens and strangers to this world, and this was not their home, and they awaited their home, and so they should have been different than the rest of the world, and so should we look today. We should be aliens as well. And thirdly, we saw the description of God's work. And how He, in His decision of choosing the elect, He based it off His foreknowledge. And I taught you that the foreknowledge was that He looked down the corridor of time and and saw whom those who would choose and reject Him, and He wrote their names down in the Lamb's book of life. We also saw that um, all three parts of the triune God working... Um, that finished the work of our salvation, God the Father in foreknowledge, God the Spirit in drawing uh, you to Himself, and God the Son shedding His blood for our forgiveness. This was the introduction to the book of 1 Peter. And now we come into our study this week, and, and basically I want to look at it again, the outline that we showed you. And this week I've added a few different things to this outline, and so it'll look a little different. Last week we had the main points, one, two, three, four, five, and 6. And this week under section number 2, the Christian salvation, I added this. A, a prayer of thanksgiving. And that's what we're going to look at today in verses 3 to 5. In verse 3, we see thanksgiving for a living hope. We see in verse 4, thanksgiving for a secure inheritance. In, in, chapter, in verse 5, we see the thanksgiving for a protected salvation. And so this is the outline that I want you to keep in mind as we go through this. And we're just going to add to this, and so some of this will go away, and we'll continue to build on this. And hopefully it will give us a better understanding of what's happening strategically throughout the book of First Peter. And so we'll be looking at it today, and, and um, I was really encouraged this week. You know, it's, it's not many times that when I preach, I feel like, well, this is just going to be a simply a message of encouragement. And I really think today, as I studied this and as I prepared this message, I just, I began to weep as I prepared this because it was so encouraging to me as a believer and follower of Christ. 
And I hope He does the same for you. I hope it encourages you in your walk with the Lord. Okay, and so, Peter has given us uh, the introduction to this letter and who he is and to whom that he's writing to. And then Peter goes right into a prayer of thanksgiving. And typically in an epistle, what we see is an opening, a body, and then a closing. And within that opening, we see the salutation, okay? And then essentially in that opening, we also see a prayer. And this is what we see today. We see a prayer. And so this will bring us to our passage of Scripture this morning. If you will, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. 1 Peter. 1, 3 to 5. Let us read the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven For you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, I think it's very important that we begin to be thankful for the things we have in our lives. That we give thanks in all things. This is God's will, if you recall from Scripture. That we give thanks in all things. And I want to ask you this morning, are you thankful for where you're at? Are you thankful for the things God has done for you in your life? Or or, or do we even think about those things? We get so wrapped up in our daily lives and in the business of the affairs of life, the mundane things of life, that sometimes we forget to sit back and look at what God has really done for each of us. And I want to ask you this morning, have you reflected on what you have to be thankful for? Uh, this morning I want to read you a poem that I found on the internet that really spoke to me. It says this, I never made a fortune, and I'll never make one now, but it really doesn't matter because I'm happy anyhow. As I go along my journey, I'm reaping better than I've sowed. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. I don't have a lot of riches, and sometimes the going's tough. But with God and family to love me, I think I'm rich enough. I thank God for the blessings that His mercy has bestowed. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. He gives me strength and courage when the way grows steep and rough. I'm not asking for others' blessings, for I'm already blessed enough. May we never be too busy to help bear another's load. Then we'll all be drinking from the saucer when our cup has overflowed. Now that may seem like a silly poem, but the reality is if you are here today and you're not drinking from the saucer, because your cup is not overflowing, I hope today that you begin to drink from that saucer because your cup will overflow. In light of a prayer of thanksgiving, I want you to take three things home with you today that you have to be thankful for. That I want you to meditate on throughout the week. Because I'm telling you, this is a power... To me, it's a powerful message of encouragement that gives me an unspeakable joy in my heart to know, number one, we are thankful for a living hope. Number two, we're thankful for a secure inheritance. And thirdly, we're thankful for protected salvation. So if you will, let us get right into it this morning. Number one, we are thankful for a living hope. What in the world does this mean? And why should I be thankful in light of my daily life? That's what I want you to ask yourself. That's what I ask as I studied the passage. I said, why should I be thankful in light of my daily lives? Well, let us read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Listen, throughout the book of 1 Peter, Peter will be consistently encouraging his readers to continue their hope in Jesus Christ, to continue to have their faith in one that is active. And here he starts out with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This seems to be really the most literal translation of this verse. But the NIV translates it, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and so it's a prayer. It's a praise of thanksgiving is what we see. And the reason I'm telling you this is because it was really a normal characteristic of a Jewish prayer. Okay, the phrase blessed be would be followed usually by the name of God. And then whom the thanksgiving would be talking about would follow that. And then finally we would see then what the person was thankful for. And so Peter here states the name of God, but he also says, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter realizes that when he's speaking to these Christians of this day, they couldn't separate the idea of, of Jesus Christ, the Son, apart from God the Father. And as we see the name of God, and God would be then the next to follow whom we would be thankful in giving in what it would be talking about, then we see finally what we are to be thankful for. He says, who according to His mercy, God's mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to ask you, are we thankful for the living hope. That's what we're to be thankful for. Do you realize that you have a living hope? Listen, God has in His mercy caused us to be born again. Don't miss that. You know, Jesus taught this same idea to Nicodemus. That the necessary act of regeneration must take place. One had to be born again. And that can only happen out of the great mercy of God. But how does that take place? How does that take place in my life? And how does that flesh out in your life? Well, it says that we are born again to a living hope. And that living hope is through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is not a dying hope. Our hope is a living hope. Unbelievers have a dying hope because they're focused on the things that are seen, not the things that are unseen. And the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so we have a hope that is a living hope. And living hope that is never failing, is firm, it's certain, it's grounded in God Himself and in His promises, we have a new life. And that's something to hope in. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if there's any in Christ, He is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. And in John 6, 47, it says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has eternal life. This is not something that will take place later. It's something that happens now. We have a living hope now when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Our living hope is Jesus Christ. And that is why our hope is not dead, because our Savior is not dead. He's alive. And we'll speak more about that Sunday, next week. On Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, they put Him on a cross and they nailed Him up there for dead. That's why, if you remember, they didn't break the legs of Jesus because they pre-assumed He was already dead and He was. And it also fulfilled Scripture that not one bone of His body would be broke. Listen, it's important that Jesus Christ died. And this is why there's such a a wonderful message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now there are other religions, other false teachers that will teach that Jesus Christ really didn't die. And one of the main ones is Islam. Teaches Christ didn't die. 
Listen, if you break the foundations of the doctrine of the resurrection, what do we have to stand on? This was the message Peter was teaching in 1.3 and in 3.21. And Paul was teaching in 1 Corinthians 15.20 and in Acts when he was given his defense to King Agrippa. And he said, King Agrippa, why does it seem so incredible to you that God can raise the dead? His argument was over the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter, Paul, and many others, they were fighting for the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That God raised Him from the dead. Listen, it's a foundational issue. It's a doctrine that we should bring us thanksgiving and harmony within the walk of the Christian believers across the world. And that's just what it does for Peter. It brings him to a place of thanksgiving Oh, they tried to kill him. They tried to finish him, but the grave couldn't hold him because he is Jesus Christ, our living hope. What is your hope today? Where do you place your hope? Make sure that before you leave here today, your hope is a living hope and not a dying hope. What is it that you're thankful for? Are you thankful that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and defeated death? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ is alive. Going to the next slide. Sorry about that. I forgot to highlight that for you. Jesus Christ, folks, is alive today. And we have a living hope. It's not by works. It's not by morality. But on the resurrection of a dead Jesus back to life. And I'm thankful for this living hope. I don't know about you, but I am. We see that we're thankful for a living hope, but also, secondly, we're thankful... For a secure salvation. I mean a secure inheritance. We are thankful for a secure inheritance. You know, when I left my job about four years ago, I started into this journey into a life of ministry. And I was feeling pretty secure in my life because I had a nice 401k plan that was really going to get us through our time in school. But I soon found out that my security in my 401k wasn't as secure as I thought it was. I was really left out to dry. Me, my wife, and my kids, no job, wondering how in the world are we going to make it now that I don't have my security. Well, listen, God showed up and provided in those times of need for us. And He revealed His purpose in our lives. And He encouraged us through doing that. And showed us that He's powerful and He's able And that my security shouldn't have been in my 401k. It should have been in God. But it wasn't. I don't know what it is that you trust in for your security this morning. But there's one thing that we can celebrate. And that is in our inheritance. You may be living in hard times. Listen, the reality is is we're in probably one of the most financial difficulty times that America has seen in a long time. You may be financially struggling. That's okay. We all go through it. You may be struggling in pain and in suffering. That's okay. Others go through it. We may go through it. You may doing all you can do to just simply get by and to provide for your family. And there may be even some that are suffering for the sake of Christ. Maybe not here. Maybe across this world there are many suffering for the sake of Christ. But in that, in light, in all those problems and all those things, we that are in Christ Jesus have a secure inheritance. Listen, you can take those things, you can give me pain, you can give me suffering, you can give me death, but you can't take away my inheritance. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 
First off, what is an inheritance? I've never received an inheritance yet. I mean, it would be nice to receive an inheritance of a large sum of money, but what is an inheritance? Well, simply an inheritance is a valuable possession that has been received. I can't recall in my life a valuable inheritance that I've received yet, but I'm waiting on one. And many of us sitting in this room today are waiting on an earthly inheritance instead of a heavenly inheritance. I've got some family that have been trying to sell their home for a while now. And someone has decided they'd like to buy this home. And boy, they're excited. Well, Stuart, what's that got to do with anything? Well, let me tell you what it's got to do with These people that are wanting to buy this home are waiting for their inheritance to come through. You see, they're about to receive a valuable possession in which it will enable them to buy a home. Listen, the reality is that someone had to die before they were able to receive this inheritance. Our hope is in a living Jesus, but our inheritance comes from a dying Jesus. Hebrews states it well in Hebrews 9, 15-17. For this reason... He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that was committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. A covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it is alive. Listen, you don't have to worry about your inheritance going away when we look at a heavenly inheritance. Listen, you lose everything in this world and it wouldn't matter because one day that stuff will go away anyways. Now this is something worth waiting for. An internal inheritance. That's why Paul said to live is for Christ and to die is gain. Listen, he realized he had it good anyway he stood it. To live, I'm going to serve Christ. To die is gain, I'm going to receive my internal inheritance. And Peter said that this inheritance was four things. He, number one, says it's imperishable. Listen, all of our earthly inheritances are, in, are perishable. Just ask around and see over the last four or five years how many people have lost their inheritance. How many families have saved up their whole life and set aside for an inheritance for their children over the last four or five years have lost it all? But the Bible says... Our inheritance is imperishable. The grand inheritance that we receive on earth can be lost, but not this one, baby. It's imperishable. It's not subject to death. It's not subject to destruction. It's not subject to a downturn in the economy. You know, as I, as I wrote this, I thought, we need to make a commercial and advertise this kind of thing. It'd sell. Because, listen, the reality is we see people, it's happening around us everywhere. But the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus, no death, no destruction, and no downturn can take it away. He said, it's secure. He also said it was undefiled. Revelation 21 says this, Nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but the only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, it will never be spoiled. You know, it only takes one bad apple to affect the whole batch, but not here, not in our inheritance that we're going to that we're going to receive. 
It will never be corrupt or spoiled or polluted. <clears throat> but it will remain. But on this earth, everything that we have until we die will become this. We'll become spoiled. Because we're living in a fallen world. Even when we think we're doing something good, it's tainted with sin. When I try to love my wife, as Christ loved the church, it's tainted with sin and it's never going to be perfect until I'm in heaven. But our inheritance, <coughs> it will never become corrupt or polluted. It's unfading. Listen, you may be a young and beautiful person now, but eventually your beauty will fade. Your jeans will be worn slap out and out of style. Your car will be worn and faded in color and in style. And the greatest of grace will fade away. But not our internal inheritance. We are looking toward an eternal inheritance. That's what we should be. What is it you're looking toward today? Are we earthly focused or are we heavenly focused? You see, when we become heavenly focused, the earthly focus loses so much importance in our lives. And so when we do become down in our finances, oh, we have a hope of an inheritance that is imperishable. But if we're focusing on the earthly things, we get too concerned about me, my, and I. But when we focus on eternal things, the heavenly things, we have a reward waiting us. And listen, are we all promised this wonderful place? We are promised this wonderful place. If we will simply believe in Him, Jesus Christ. Oh, you all will receive an eternal inheritance. There's no doubt about that. Listen, everyone receives an eternal inheritance. And both will be forever. And some say, oh, well, I'm going down and I'll party down there. Oh, you can party in hell, but you'll be the barbecue. And you won't like it. Because every second of eternity will be in complete torment, separated from God. That should encourage us to share the gospel of Christ in our daily lives. But for those that believe in Jesus Christ and His resurrection, those will receive an inheritance that will no longer suffer and God will wipe away all their tears from their eyes. And there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning, nor crying out. Nor will there be any more pain and suffering. For the first things have passed away. So what we see in Revelation 21.4. You choose whom today you will serve. What inheritance you wish to have. And I tell you, if it's the one of Revelations 21.4, you must believe only in Jesus Christ, in His death, in His burial, in His resurrection, the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 um, gives us a good definition of the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 15.1-3 reads this, Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as... Listen. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. 
the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is how we're saved. Then and only then will you receive the promised inheritance that is secure forever. Listen, don't be like me placing my faith and trust in my 401k and watching it perish. What in the world was I thinking? Thirdly, or lastly, it was reserved. Our eternal inheritance was reserved. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved in His appearing. This place is set aside for you. In John 14, He tells us, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And then He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself. That where I am, there you may be also. It's a prepared place, a reserved place. Look, live like you have a place prepared for you. Live like an alien, a stranger to this world. One that's not dependent on the earthly inheritance, but one that is in light and in necessity of an eternal inheritance that comes at the end time. Listen, I know it's hard. I struggle. I I struggle with this often. As I drive up this beautiful place, and I see these homes out in these nights, and I think to myself, oh my word, I, I would love to have a home out there in that field. It's so beautiful. I could just live here. And then my wife goes, this is not your home. Thanks. (laughs) Let us live knowing that from the Lord our God we will receive a reward of eternal inheritance. And live in light of that. Serve the Lord in light of that. Listen, if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you have a place prepared for you. Now, whose name's in that Lamb's book of life? I don't know. Only one person can open that book. But I'm going to trust every one of you has an opportunity and that's in that book. It's imperishable, folks. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it is reserved for you. Praise God. In light of anything that happens to me on this earth, that we may consider evil or bad, God has set a wonderful plan ahead of me and of you, set apart for those that would believe in Jesus Christ and receive the good news of Christ. Oh, let them do whatever they want because I have an inheritance. Listen, we are thankful for our living hope. Secondly, we are thankful for a secure inheritance. And finally, We are thankful for a protected salvation. Now I don't know about you, but this is where I get excited. You can promise me an inheritance, that's okay. But without a protected salvation, I got nothing. I don't know about you, but I need this. I need to know my salvation is protected. The older I get, The bigger my children get, the more I realize that life is short. But a vapor in light of eternity. And my failures seem to come way too quickly. 
But with a repentant heart, I ask God, like He tells me in 1 John 1.9, and I ask for forgiveness that my joy might be made new. And this process seems to happen over and over and over. I need to know this. That my salvation is protected. First Peter 1.5 says, You uh, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, my kids love me. They trust me. They know that I will protect them. At least I pray they understand that. And I hope you young people understand that your parents are there to protect you as well. To keep you safe. But the greatest protection that I can offer my own children and in my own life and for my wife are simply temporary. Because as I was reading the other day, the parable... Where the man says, well, I've stored up everything for myself in my barns. He said, well, today I, you're required of your soul. I don't know what day the Lord is going to require of my soul, but at that point I will not be able to protect them anymore. My protection is limited. It's temporary. But praise be to God, His protection is not limited. Not in time, not in knowledge, not in understanding, and not in mercy. You could say here, because God is powerful, you are kept safe. But the question is how? How is it? Well, it says by faith. This is another element. In your remaining safe, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, we see it again here. We are protected by God's power through faith. And what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the convictions of things not seen. Look, you and I hope for Christ. We are convinced even though we haven't seen Him. I've never seen Him. But I'm convinced in Christ and my hope is in Christ. Our faith is in Christ. And we have a hope for this eternal inheritance. At least I can say that for myself. And through my faith in God, He will protect my salvation. Faith is how we are saved. It's been that way from the Old Testament all the way into today. Faith is what saves us. Faith in Christ. In the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know where you're at, but I have to ask, do you have a faith that saves? You know, James in chapter 2, verse 17 says, Faith without works is dead. You claim to have faith, do you have works? Now, obviously works don't save, but they're a byproduct of what God has done in you. We know it's faith that saves because in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, faith is something you do. This is not true faith in God. But faith in something you can't do and simply trust in Christ to do through you, this is true faith. What is your faith in today? Is it your own ability? Your retirement? Your earthly inheritance? All of those things can be removed in the twinkling of an eye. A faith 
that is saved by faith alone. But a saving faith is never alone. Works always accompany it. Our salvation is protected by the creator of the universe. You can't hire another person that will protect you like he will. You can't have a bodyguard that will protect you. You could have him walk around with you everywhere, every day. But he couldn't protect you like God could. And I can't protect my children. And their finances. Or anything else like God can. And so when I teach them, I teach them trusting God, not in me. I'm simply a man saved by grace. But God, oh, He can protect us. As a young child, I didn't listen to the Father's instructions very well. It resulted in cutting fingers and broken hearts and deeds of abomination and acts of a prodigal son. That was my life before Christ. But now I've heard the message in the hope of Christ and I don't plan on making the same mistakes twice. And now when my Heavenly Father speaks to me, I want to listen. I want to be obedient. I want to follow His commands and His instructions and His promises. Do I always do that? Of course not. But that's the desire of my heart. But listen, my faith and your faith, if you are in Christ, is protected. Mine is protected by my Heavenly Daddy. And listen, you can't remove it. Because you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't obtain it. You didn't sustain it. Because the Father thought it, the Spirit taught it, and the Son bought it. You can kill me, lock me up, throw me in prison, so be it. You can't touch my salvation for I'm protected. Matthew 10, 28. One of the good promises I really enjoy is this. Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's what we should fear, is God Himself, because He's the one able to destroy both body and soul. Your salvation is protected because you had nothing to do with it. It's not about works, but it's about faith in God. You see, God says in His Word that we don't seek after God, but He first seeks after us. That none come to the Father unless He's drawn to the Father. And therefore, if you're drawn to the Father, it's not by your own chance and opportunity, but God draws you to Himself. Are you trusting in something else other than the works of Christ? And if you are, you're missing the mark. And I'm going to tell you today, do not buy into the heresy that's leading in through this community. And there's no reason for me to name names because you know the names. And if you don't know the names, and you want to name names, come to me afterwards. But there's heresy spreading throughout this community that's infiltrating into our church. And the people in our church are visiting with these heretics. They're preaching a different gospel. You want to see me get passionate? Start messing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh no, it was a living hope. Through the living hope and the resurrection of Christ that made our salvation possible. God doesn't need our little jumping through a hoop of performance to have us saved. The thief on the cross showed that. He did nothing. Matthew 3, 5 describes baptism as an act of righteousness. And if you're not understanding where I'm going, is the heresy that's running through this community is that baptism saves. And we have brothers that are leading to that side. And I'm telling you today, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. They twist the Scriptures and His teachings for whatever reason, but it doesn't save. And I'm going to show you a few verses that will show you that it doesn't save. 
Matthew 3.5 describes baptism as an act of righteousness. And right in Titus 3.5, we find that acts of righteousness don't save. He saved us, not on the basis and deeds of which are in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's God's doing, not man's. We already said, he who believes has eternal life. This is immediate. Not later. Not after you jump through the hoop of baptism. Baptism is very important. And it's good. But it ain't good enough to save. If you're teaching baptism saves, you're teaching a different gospel. And Galatians is very clear on what we're to do about that. He says they should be accursed. Luke 7, 37-50 talks about the immoral woman of whom you are told her sins, which were many, were immediately forgiven by her faith in Christ without having yet been baptized. In verse 50 it says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now if baptism saves, how in the world was this woman saved? In Luke 18, 10-14, the tax gatherer in Christ's parable on the basis of faith, apart from baptism, went home and declared forgiving without having yet been baptized. He said in verse 14, I tell you, this man went to his house justified. In Luke 23, 39-43, the thief on the cross, we have already talked about him, he slippily turned to Christ in faith, without ever having been baptized, and he hadn't been baptized yet. I don't know. They may baptize in heaven. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't think so. But he was promised that very day, today I tell you the truth, you will be with me in paradise. In Acts 16, 24 the Philippian jailer, if you recall, was told to simply what? Believe in Jesus Christ. And he would be saved. His baptism followed his salvation, but it did not save him. Verse 31, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The apostle clearly separated the gospel from water baptism when he said that Christ did not send me to baptize, but what? To preach the gospel. And we've already looked at what the definition of the gospel was in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3. What is it? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not baptism. And when Paul was on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him. He said, yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness into light and from the power of Satan to God so that they can receive forgiveness for their sins who are what? Set apart by faith. In me. I don't think Jesus would have left out baptism if it was that important for salvation. Don't you buy into this heresy. These people are false teachers. And they're teaching people in this church destructive things that will confuse and delude and even maybe put you on the path straight to hell. Well, Stuart, they're nice people. I know they're nice. I've met with them. But a wolf in sheep clothes, I bet wasn't too mean. Listen, as your pastor and as a shepherd, I need to warn you. There's a wolf in sheep clothes in this community, and you better be careful. Listen, I'm the one who's made the judgment. I have to answer to God but it's for your own protection. Stay away from these people. Look, the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are some of the nicest people I know. Matter of fact, my mother and father was one for 30 years. Two of the nicest people, two of the most godliest people I know, served every weekend knocking on doors. Praise God that He's drawn them to Himself and they are repented and turned back to Jesus Christ. But what they teach was not biblical. 
And what's being taught in this community outside is not biblical either. Galatians 2.21 says this, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. If baptism is a part of our salvation and we have to be baptized to be saved, that's a work. It's an act of righteousness. And Christ wouldn't need to die if baptism saved us. We just need to be baptized. You should treat them like the Galatians tell you to treat them. We need to be thankful. But we don't save ourselves lest we have to maintain it. No, our salvation is protected by God through faith in Jesus Christ. In the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. And when we put that hope, we have an inheritance. We have a hope and a living hope in Jesus Christ. What more could we ask for? In light of reality, within 60, 80, 90 years, maybe none of us will ever be here again. What is the greatest blessing we can have? An eternal inheritance, a protected salvation, and hope in Jesus Christ. As a man that's sinful inside, I know what I'm owed. But because of Jesus Christ, I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. That's my tidbit on the end of that. As a sinful man inside, I know what I'm owed. But because of Christ, I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. Because we have salvation in Christ, because we've been promised an inheritance, we should be drinking from the saucer because our cups have overflowed.